Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. If you've been unfortunate enough to join what she calls the Grief Club, chances are you've already encountered today's guest, Cariad Lloyd, through her conversation-changing, taboo-busting podcast, Griefcast, a much-needed place to talk about the many messy faces of grief. Carrie had lost her dad, Peter, to pancreatic cancer when she was just 15. In the late 90s, nobody talked about death, let alone what it was like to join the Dead Dad Club in your mid-teens. Now she's written a funny, frank book about her experience, You Are Not Alone, A New Way to Grieve. And I guarantee that whether you're grieving or not, you'll find it helpful. Cariad is also a comedian, actor, improviser and writer who has appeared on Peep Show, Have I Got News For You and QI, amongst others. So whilst this episode is illuminating, it is far from sad, I promise. We like to fix problems and we like to believe we're powerful and believe we're in control. And death is just a constant reminder that you have no control in this spike-spinning piece of rock that you're standing on. Cariad joined me to talk grief, how pregnancy, therapy and approaching 40 collided, doing the grief maths, why thinking about the future makes her twitchy and how she feels about approaching the age her dad died. We also compared our inner goths and she advised me on how to ask your partner if they want to be buried or scattered. I listened to a podcast, I can't remember which one. It might have been the one with Emily Dean. And you were saying that you never knew how to start. And I loved you for saying that because I never know how to start either. I'm always... I know, it's so hard, isn't it? Because like you'll have a chat and then you'll just think, oh, I have to start like work. It feels like you're being like, oh, sorry, now we have to like do the work bit. Um, so yeah, I, I'm happy to start as awkwardly as we both want to. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's brilliant. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, yesterday I posted about the book. I posted a story on Instagram about you're not alone. I can't tell you what a massive response I had. It was absolutely crazy. I mean, people telling me how much difference you and Griefcast had already made to their lives. People like telling me their grief story. You must get this all the time, but people telling me their grief stories or people close to them's grief stories and like... 
someone asked my advice about whether the book would be good for their mum and I was like I don't know because I don't know your mum <laughs> but <laughs> Sorry. it's a really great book Sorry, babes uh, <laughs> yeah. thank you thank you so much yeah well I think it's interesting isn't it because we don't talk about grief enough whenever somebody sort of raises the flag above their social media platform and it's like oh I don't mind I'll mention it then the people who are so desperate to talk about grief are like oh my god someone I can I've got this thing to tell you because the rest of society often closes the door and is like no we, we don't really want you to talk about it so I think there is a real like thirst for when someone is like oh I, I've read a book about death everyone's like let me tell you my story because there's no other space for it yeah tell us about how it started so my dad died when I was 15 in 1998 of pancreatic cancer. And I spent a long time talking about it with people, but kind of like, you know, finding people at a party and somebody might be like, oh, my so-and-so just died. And me being like, oh my God, can we talk about it? Can we talk? Because I just, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to talk about it. There wasn't anywhere to talk about it. And in 2016, that's when podcasts were becoming a thing and comedians were the only people really doing them. It was like, oh, another place to be funny. So all my friends suddenly got a podcast. <laughs> And I was walking along the road and I thought, oh, if I was going to do one, I'd just talk to people about death. And then I laughed and I was like out loud and I thought, like, nobody would ever listen to that. And it just kept, you know, an idea that it just wouldn't go away. So I recorded four conversations with essentially comedian friends who I knew had lost someone quite important and were already talking about it. So that was Adam Buxton, Jade Adams, Sarah Pascoe and a producer called John Harvey. And then I just put them out there and I thought, well, that's good the idea's done. I don't have to think about it anymore. So I've done it, tick, next thing. And then just started getting emails, just started getting hundreds of emails from people saying, I didn't know anyone else felt like this. I didn't know anyone else was grieving like this. I thought I had a breakdown, but what you're describing is just grief. You know, I've never told my partner how my father died, but I'm desperate to talk about it. And I suddenly, as 2017 rolled around, was like, oh, I've made a job. This is needed. And I didn't know it was needed. I thought it was just me. But I felt this kind of, I mean, it sounds silly, but I felt like a calling of like, I have to do this now. This isn't just me that wants to talk about it. So I started the grief cast and then here we are. 2023 and I'm on my 10th season. I've nearly done 200 episodes and yeah, and now I've written a book based on what I've learned from the conversations. Were you worried about becoming Queen Death, I think, as you put it? <laughs> <laughs> Some of the listeners jokingly call me Queen Grief. Queen and Grief, sorry. I'm not. Because... Yeah. The- no, no. It made you sound either. like Anne Rice, quite, but... didn't I then? Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm an ex-goth, so, like, I'm I'm happy with that. Like, you know, Monica doesn't bother me. I'm like, oh, no, I'm all sunshine. I'm like, no, yeah, that is my life. The inner me has, like, black lipstick and black nail varnish on in the corner, chain-smoky and being sarcastic. <laughs> not chain-smoky anymore, guys. I quit, I quit. Um, so... I don't think you can ever really be queen grief because every grief is different. And so although I have a lot of experience with my grief and talking to people, I fully admit if if I suffered another huge loss, obviously touch wood, I don't do that for a very long time, I would be blindsided by it. So, you know, it, you can never protect yourself from grief. You can never be like, well, now I've got it. I understand it. I'll never be affected by it. But I certainly don't mind being the person who's willing to talk about it because I want to. <laughs> I wanted to and nobody would talk to me. So I, I really understand that need to have this expression of this sadness, this massive thing that happened to you and feel like everyone in the world is acting like, oh, don't don't talk about it. Like it's eating your mouth full or something. Like it's really gross. And you're like, but it happened. Like, why will no one let me express this so it's a moniker i don't really believe in but i'm also happy to joke about 
I just have to say, I'm so happy to discover that you're a part of the Secret Teen Golf Club too, because <laughs> I, I love coming across fellow kind of black nail varnish wearing yeah. like dodgy black crimped monstrosity oh, so hair. much black eyeliner that it was just co- like comedy like how far it was trying to get to my temples and i i get annoyed now with goths now you can amazon stripey tights like in my day oh, you had work. to search <laughs> so if you wanted to be weird it was really difficult like you really really had to try i go out of your way to find these things like when i discovered blue lipstick randomly in the yes. sale of h&m yeah. like i was like oh my god this is my dream come true and then i wore the blue lipstick and everyone laughed at me and bullied me for it but I knew like I have tracked something weird down so yeah I'm definitely in that in that weird club I am uh, Miss Selfridge used to be my go-to because it actually had um this floor with loads and loads of little crappy bits and they did this kind of purpley gray lipstick that just made you oh yeah made you look like you were already dead it was um, yeah yeah it was yes. a commitment being a goth yeah my niece now is is very into alternative and honestly if she wants something she just says oh can you amazon for me and i it's like oh, i can't believe, can't believe how easy it is to be weird these days <laughs> that's why i think there's more of them because it is just genuinely easier you really had to commit to it but yeah that's why you know i was already a goth and then my dad died so i was already feeling like the world has this other side to it that's quite dark and depressing and what does that mean and then my dad died and i became like a really confident goth because <laughs> I was like you know there's other goths who are like oh, I don't really know why I'm this sad I was like oh I have a paid up fucking reason that I'm this sad here it is I know death I've seen someone die like the ultimate goth <laughs> like so it, it was a very natural progression for me I'm sorry I don't quite know how to follow that um <laughs> when you launched the podcast you were pregnant weren't you and you were in yes, your mid-30s was, and you just started therapy. Yes. And I'm quite interested in how though all those things intersect. Yeah. Well, the way I live my life is I'm someone who claims that there's no connection to things. So I'd be like, oh, it's just random. Yes. It's just happened at the yeah, same time. Right. Absolutely yeah. nothing to do with each other. Just, I just, you know, therapist came through, started a podcast. And then I, about five years later, I go, oh, carry on, there's probably quite a lot of connections. <laughs> but I sort of don't like to think too much about what I'm doing sometimes, especially if it's a new idea. I'm like, don't think about it, just do it. I'd gone to my GP for stress, really. I knew something was wrong. I didn't, I wouldn't have said it was grief. And eventually I did all this, like, what's the word, jumping through hoops for the NHS, like taking all, you know, CBT and all this. But yeah. I kept saying to them, I think I need therapy. And they said, well, it's a two year waiting list. And I was like, my dad died when I was 15. I, I'll wait another two years. It's fine. Yeah, I've already so waited I, 20. I, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's absolutely no problem. So I waited and then I got this you know, phone calls, your therapy place is here. And then I went for my first session of therapy. And then the next week I found out I was pregnant. So it did, it was a bit, oh, all of this has happened at once. So I think the idea to talk about death publicly was only possible because I was in therapy and I was pregnant. And something happened to me when I was pregnant in that before I was pregnant, I did character comedy. I was an actor. I was like hiding, hiding, hiding. And all my comedy had grief behind it, but so hidden, you, you, you know, you wouldn't have known. It was all sort of leaking out in little drips. And then when I got pregnant, I felt this really strange thing. I was like, oh, I can't pretend anymore. Like I can't pretend to be, like I used to do this character called Joey Bechamel, which was like a fake Zoe Chanel, manic pixie dream girl. And I used to put red lipstick and smear it all over my face and wear a pink dress. And I used to like come on and be like really cutesy and then be like, nose wrinkle, are you hard yet? It's like a guy in the audience. 
And um, and I just suddenly had this thing where I was like, oh, I just can't pretend. I can't keep it up. I can't pretend that this grief is not the thing I'm desperate to talk about. So, you know, I felt like I was ready, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It was like I couldn't hold it back anymore. And then when I had booked those four conversations with friends, with people I knew, and I think especially talking to, you know, Jade particularly, who'd lost her sister and Adam, who'd lost his dad. John had lost his brother and Sarah spoke about her grandfather. And just the way that we were, especially with Jade, I think as well, it was like, we were talking about like, oh yes, yes, me too. Oh, oh my God, yeah, I felt like that. Mm. I just had this moment of like, oh my God, like my grief life had felt alone. It had felt completely alone. Like this really weird thing had happened to me and talking to them, I was like, oh fuck, I'm, we're not alone. Literally like we all feel the same and we're just not talking about it. So I just had this moment of like, I've got to share this story. I've got to tell everybody like if you're grieving and you feel like you're the only person you're not there's loads of us and um which is why the book is called you are not alone and that's what i say at the end of every episode i say remember you're not alone because that's what grief makes you feel like but i could only do that because of the therapy was supporting me and at the same time as talking about it publicly i was very privately breaking down sobbing being like i've never told anyone all these things and like what happened to me and yeah having someone hold my hand through that process why do you think it took you 20 years to have therapy because you had had a little bit of therapy hadn't you which you write about extremely it's funnily a word it's very yeah, funny no, that's good i hope so. it's supposed to be funny the yeah. scene in the book is very <laughs> funny attention. about it but you haven't literally haven't had therapy since you were 15 15 yeah so it's interesting and again you know i must be clear like i'm not a medical professional i'm someone who's mm. spoken to lots of people so it's like learnt experience but the thing that i have learned through talking to lots of members of the teenage grief club the tgc as i call us is we don't do it for ages and you know i'm sure there's an academic that can tell you why but in layman's terms you're a teenager this thing happens to you that like blows your world apart and you don't have the vocabulary to deal with it you you, you have the emotions but you you don't know how to say what does this mean who am i without my father like you were living your life thinking yeah there's my parents they're annoying they're boring i'm going away and do what i like and then you're like oh nothing stable and that can be it doesn't have to be grief that could be a traumatic event as a teenager as well and in your 20s you kind of run away from it because you're like it's nothing to do with me Mm. I, I don't care it doesn't matter it's not important like if people said to me oh your dad died yeah yeah so, no big deal yeah, dad's die. <laughs> like, yeah i'm so blasé about it and i ran away and ran away from the grief and from the feelings and then in my 30s which is again really common for tgc yeah. all this stuff was going wrong like physically mentally i had like severe anxiety severe death anxiety like you know like just really obvious stress problems if you looked at me and i went to my gp with all these like oh this weird stuff is happening and he was like do you think you might be stressed and at <laughs> that point like i'd done the edible festival the year before and I'd been like working on another show I hadn't stopped I was gigging like every single night of the week and I thought oh yeah yeah I guess it's yeah I guess it's stress so it's a very common process to run away from it because when you're a teenager and something happens it's too big and I think I had to literally mature and catch up with the feelings you know the feelings were adult feelings they were feelings that you mm. should be having age 35 that's when most people do start to encounter grief you know maybe earlier later but it's sort of more common you know you start getting to an age old people's parents are getting sick and this happens and it was like I caught up with myself and I suddenly was like oh shit like I thought I dealt with it I thought I was fine I thought I was okay and there was so much stuff like I said I hadn't told people I'd really kept a lot of it in and I just thought oh okay I'm 
I'm ready. You know, I have a whole chapter in the book about therapy and how it saved me and how important it is. But I will always say it's really personal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to be privileged enough to work a system, which I was and, you know, able to wait like I could I could wait. I wasn't an emergency case, but it did. It really, really changed a lot of stuff. I try and be empathetic and sympathetic to myself. I used to think, oh, you should have gone earlier. And now I'm like, you just couldn't. You weren't ready. No, so, you've got to be ready. You know, you? you've got to be ready. And luckily, I lived long enough to deal with it. You know, like mm. not everybody does. And even if something had happened to me beforehand, I don't think you would have said, oh, if only she'd dealt with that grief at 25. I was still fine. I was still basically fine. I just, there was sort of in the background, this bubbling tornado, <laughs> very bad metaphor going on. So, yeah, I think it's quite common for teenagers to wait that long. Thinking of the number of women that I've spoken to on the shift who have something has happened to them, maybe in their childhood or teens or very early 20s. And it does take like often until their 40s for them to reach a point where either their body screams enough yeah like yours (laughs) did or something else happens that makes them go do you know what I need to talk to someone about this or not even that conscious really and speaking personally as well filling your life with with stuff and just moving 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 as fast as fast as you possibly can moving do not stop do not stop keep working keep working keep working change the job find something else just don't sit down just never ever sit down yeah that's how I lived I was really interested that you love the Lord of the Rings I think that that's connected as well. I think that kind of like immersing yourself in a, you know, I love Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter or anything where I can just like vanish into somebody else's, some other completely other world. Yeah. You know, I've always been like that. I've always been a, a big reader and I've always had this ability to disappear into things. And, you know, that's why I loved acting. That's why I loved improv. It was like, you disappear. You're not there. And all those voices and thoughts and that energy of like, what, what just happened to me? What's da, 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 da. Just. Yeah. <laughs> and you are in Lothlorien with the elves and everything's fine. Um, the Lord of the Rings as well. The reason it became such a big thing in my family is that my dad was obsessed with it. So he used to read it to us and he read us The Hobbit and he had the, the tapes of like the Ian Home Radio 4 yeah. audio version he used to play in the car. So when they did the film of it, it, it very much for me and my brother became this like, well, this world is a world that dad knew. So it was, I guess, yeah, I haven't really mm. thought about it, but should have put that in the book. Um, <laughs> It was almost like visiting with him, you know, you know, he knew those characters. So, yeah, the idea of disappearing into places, especially when you are feeling something so strong. And like you said, it can be any emotional traumatic experience. But grief, from my experience, is is such a ball of emotions. It's everything. It's every single emotion at the same time <laughs> firing towards you. And anywhere that takes you away from that for a second to breathe becomes so sacred to you. It's like this kind of weird sense that, you know, you were 15 and in the space of two months you kind of became an instant adult because you'd experienced Mm. this thing that really you need to be an adult or maybe a very small child to be able to deal with. But also, and this is a bit of a therapy thing, you kind of become a bit in stasis, if you know what I mean, that you kind of become like also permanently 15 or for until you reach a point where you kind of deal with it. Yeah, and I talk about that in a book, I call it like the freeze. And I've spoken to, again, a lot of people who lost people, I would say pre-20. And they will often, if I say to them, if you see someone of your age out and about as in your age when this thing happened to you do you feel like you 
you get them, like you can look at them and go, I know what's going on in your brain. And they'll be like, yeah. So if you're like, you're six or you're 10 or you're 15, if I see a 15 year old girl, like I, I fucking get, I know what that brain is doing. Like my brain froze at that point completely. And I totally put myself in the freezer and was like, this person can never change or evolve because he knew this person. Mm. So I have to keep her and I will grow, of course, and do all these other things inside. I've got to make sure, keep her alive, keep remembering everything exactly, exactly as it was at 15. Don't let it like disappear. And I think that's what happened. I got to my mid thirties and I was like, I am not 15 and I can't keep, I can't keep pretending to be this 15 year old. It's, it's killing me. And when I got pregnant, I was like, oh shit. Like, you know, mm. you can get pregnant at 15, but I was not a 15 year old was going to do that. Mm. I was very young in myself. So it became this literal metaphor that I was not my father's daughter anymore. And I just want to caveat that if you don't know the show, a lot of people think that we had an amazing relationship and it sounds like, oh, he read me Lord of the Rings. It was lovely. We had a really <laughs> bad relationship, like not great at all. And if we'd had a good relationship, I wouldn't have needed to do a podcast about it. I wouldn't need to write a book about it. I'd be fine. Mm. <laughs> I'd be sad. And then I'd be like, well, okay. You know, we had such a complicated relationship. We didn't really get on, particularly at that point when I was 15, we really were like just not pals at all. So that's why I've ended up having to still process it. I worry that people think I sound like this daddy's princess or something. You know, that's why I'm still talking about it. It's like, no, it was actually the opposite. <laughs> I think the daddy's princesses probably feel like, yeah, I was really loved and that was simple and now he's gone. That's very unfair. They're probably still very sad too. <laughs> well, you talk a lot about the hierarchy of grief and I think that one of the things I've come across a lot is people who've been estranged from people, you know, who've yes, died. Yeah. And there's been this kind of idea that, well, you didn't like them anyway, so why does it matter? It's like, mm, it doesn't really work like that. It's so easy when you haven't experienced something to assume things. So you assume, oh, if you're not talking to your mum when they die, you won't be sad. When you actually say it out loud, you're like, well, of course you will be. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and it will be complicated sadness. It won't be simple. It won't be like, oh, I loved her. She loved me. That's the sadness. But we have to get past this, um, I call it grief maths, that like... Mm. I can work out for you how sad you should be based on your relationship. So, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, you know, how long ago was it he died? And I'll say, oh, 20, 20 something years. And they go, oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Done then. Yeah. And they've done the maths in their head. Oh, it's 20 years ago. It's not bad. And we do the same with, you know, um, pregnancy loss as well. Like, well, how mm. many weeks? Oh, you're four weeks. Oh, four weeks. How old were they? Oh, the, my granddad was 92. Oh. Like, we, yeah, we like to like, go, oh, he oh, had the good innings, you know. <laughs> had the good innings, or you were only a little bit pregnant. Like, we like to just, like, put these little maths in of, like, well, that's, then you should be this sad, or, I'd, or I'm not going to have to have a really intense conversation with you. When actually, as I say in the book, and I only say this from talking to so many people, if you're sad, you're sad. You know what? There's people who have been estranged. Someone has died, and they haven't been broken by it. They've been like, well, we, I said all I needed to say, and it's fine. And there's people who are absolutely devastated even though they hadn't spoken to him for 20 years there's no rhyme or reason to it there's not a logic to grief because it's about a relationship and how you are emotionally and that's a completely unique experience so all you can do with grief is not judge yourself like if you're sad you're sad if you're sad that a celebrity dies and it's broken you into you're sad if you're sad that your cat has died and you are weeping more than you did for your grandma who died a month ago if you're feeling mm. it you're feeling it there's no point getting the list out and the tick well you shouldn't feel this and you shouldn't have this and you know it's just, grief just doesn't work like that humans don't work like that i'm really really guilty of this it's like what's the end point 
you know, I'm the person who went to therapy and the first, practically the first thing I said to the therapist was like, how long is this going to take? You know, it's like... <laughs> how long we got? Yeah, I want to... I've got six months tops. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Come on. exactly. I will work hard. I'm going to turn up every session. I'll do my homework, but then I'm done, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's partly because, well, whether it's partly capitalism in it, but also it's it just, it's easier, isn't it? It's easier for other people if you can go, oh, well, 20 years... That's ages yeah. ago. Yeah. That's, that's the thing you have to remember with grief. So much of when we talk about it publicly or with, you know, people you know, it's about the other person, not the griever. Mm. So that conversation, if someone says to me, how long ago did you die? 20 plus years. Oh, all oh, right, 20 plus. What they're saying is, oh, phew, I don't have to have a massive chat with you because you probably won't be that sad. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's what it is. And that's fine. But it's like, it's quite rude when you, when you can hear the subtext and everyone can hear the subtext. So it's that thing of thinking instead of thinking, oh, 20 plus years, instead of you assuming a reaction for me, you could ask, oh, uh, you know, how do you feel at 20 plus years? That is a long time, but I wonder, are you still sad? And I would say, yeah, yeah, sometimes, but like not every day. And my life's pretty good. It just, you know, grief stays with you forever. It'll, it'll always be a sad thing that happened. Like that's, mm. you've heard me. I feel heard. I feel like you're not like writing off my, you know, life's years of pain. And I talk about this in the book, like this is why I hate the five stages is the five stages theory of grief. Mm. Humans want an ending. We want beginning, middle, end. Like we are obsessed with stories. We're obsessed with narrative. We like watching the film and the two people turn up and then they have a row, but they like each other. And then they have another row, but they seem to like each other. Oh, they get together the end. Like we love that. We feel, mm. oh, I can we, it's like we need Need it. We need it. We need to believe it, it's a possibility, but we also need to acknowledge it's not what real life looks like. Like with rom-coms, like we all know that's not what real romance looks like. That's not what real relationships end up looking like. That's a moment of a relationship. And we have that kind of ability to go, oh, that's Hollywood and here's real life. But with grief, we just, I feel like we're behind and we're like, no, no, grief should be, I feel sad. I cry. I go to therapy. What, maybe a year and a half, two years? I'm fine. Mm. <laughs> Come on, I'll give you two. And it isn't like that it doesn't work like that that's not how your brain works that's not how emotions work you know my dad was my dad for 15 years and he'll always have been my dad so that's a lifelong mm. process so even after two years of grief why did I think I should be over it that's not enough time for how long he really was physically here for me and I'm 50% of him so I'm always going to have that voice in my head and, and relate to him and think what would he have thought about this that's never a conversation that will disappear so therefore I'm always going to be grieving him in new ways as I change as I age as I develop but that doesn't mean there's no ending that just means the grief evolves with me so you have to reframe it in your brain because I think people hear no ending and they feel sick they're like oh my god I'm gonna yeah. feel like this forever and you're like no you're not gonna feel like this forever in the same way that when you fall in love with someone you don't feel like that forever it changes it grows you develop something yeah, and you accept that and expect it and you accept it but with grief we're like this unfeeling is unbearable and it needs to stop <laughs> yeah. and what can I do to make it stop you know there are always going to be like big moments aren't there however long ago it was whether it's the point where he's been dead for longer than he was your dad alive yeah yeah oh the point like when you were pregnant um and you write incredibly movingly about the moment in the playground with your daughter with the granddad seeing granddads yeah that's my trigger at the moment is seeing granddads because that's something obviously when I was 15 I, I didn't bother me I didn't understand when I was in my mid-20s I wouldn't see a granddad and think oh well, I'll never my kids won't have a granddad because you just you might think it but it didn't mean anything yeah it's only when you have a child you're in the playground and some you know silver-headed 
cool London grandpas pushing their kid and mucking around. You're like, oh, oh, I don't have that, do I? That's, oh, I didn't get that. And then you realise, oh, not only do I not get that, my kid doesn't get that. And you want your kid to have everything you had and you want them to have as much as possible. So you think, oh, 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 no. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. But as I say in the book, you know, because I'm 20 plus years in, what the superpower that I have, I don't think grief is a superpower, but I think like the superpower that can come with grief over time is that I can recognize that pain. Oh, my daughter doesn't have a grandpa. I had a grandpa and he was like one of my favorite people. Okay, that's sad. I was gonna sit with that for a bit. What does she have? She has an amazing grandma. I really, my grandma was like, not really didn't really want to speak to me ever. So, mm. okay, well, she's having a different childhood to me and she's having a different experience, but it's not it's not better or worse. It's just different. And there's a sadness to that and there's a joy to that. And both of those things exist in the same place. And as long as you let yourself feel a bit of both of them, you can, you know, you can walk through it. And that moment for me, when I saw him, the granddad, it was very sad. And I felt sad for like a couple of days, but then... I was okay again. And it's like, you just let it come into your life, feel it, let it go out again. And that's what I mean. The experience I have from grief is that I now know it's not going to be here permanently. It never is. You never feel something constantly. You know, your emotions change all the time. So the grief comes, it's shit, it stays with you, sits on you, and then it goes. Because it's not, you know, it's not depression. It's not a mental illness. It's, it's the deep, deep feeling of loss that something you used to have is not here anymore. So it can come and go at will, which is terrifying. <laughs> like, you don't know when it's going to turn up. And it's not always the big things, you know. It's not always the birthdays or anniversaries. Sometimes I quote lots of people in the book from the show, like Reverend Richard Coles really stuck with me of saying, mm. like, you know, sometimes it's their parmesan in Sainsbury's, like, <laughs> just yeah. in pieces because they liked that parmesan. Like, So that's the thing. You never know when it's going to jump out at you. But the longer you do this process, the more you try it will pass it will pass mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I just think we're just not very comfortable. We're not like brought up to be. Society isn't very comfortable with any negative emotion. No, no. Like, <laughs> and all the things that, you know, can go with grief, like anger and guilt and rage. And they're just not emotions that we're encouraged to experience anyway, particularly mm. anger. Yeah, and it's a huge part of grief. Yeah, so I write about that, like, I was angry for years. That was my main emotion, was fury. Mm. <laughs> Just absolutely furious. And, yeah, you know, take a teenage girl who's already angry at the world and give her a reason to be angry. I mean, you, you don't want to mess with her and you don't want to talk <laughs> yeah. to her. She's, like, she got an answer for everything. And I think I completely agree with you. What we see as negative emotions, it's interesting, even that word. Yeah. But what we mean is they don't feel nice. Like, to be angry doesn't feel that nice nice to be depressed or sad or crying so much that you're like making a weird noise because you're not even crying anymore you're just like honking it doesn't feel great and so we go oh these are this is bad I don't feel good it's bad rather than like well this is this is part of it like I miss them I can't not miss them like that's the thing with grief like we're trying to make make it okay or make it like a positive experience and it's like it's not negative or positive it's just it's just is what it is it's very very sad and there's some positive bits and some negative bits but it's extraordinarily sad that somebody you loved isn't there anymore at all and is unreachable and I think we find that really hard because most things you know it's the one thing in our life that's so definite so final with you know most stuff isn't most stuff there is mm. ways around things you can read or research or talk your way somehow find but you can't when someone's dead they're dead that's it that makes us angry because <laughs> we like to fix problems and we like to believe we're powerful and believe we're in control and death is just a constant reminder that you have no control in this like spinning piece of rock that you're standing on yeah the constant proof of our impotence so. yeah yeah and that's hard it doesn't mean that it's impossible to navigate because it isn't you you know we're all here we all know people who have died we're all surviving getting up in the morning so you you know you can exist with it but it's hard to be reminded of it and it's hard to be very close to that feeling especially the first year of grief I always say the first year is very it's very tough to be that close to those feelings to have them that loudly in your head it's really hard really really hard and so we have to be kind to ourselves and go I've just got to feel this like I can't run away from it. Do you come from a family of talkers or do you come from one of those families that just like keep the lid on the can of worms and the can of worms will stay over there and everything will be fine? I come from well, how can I describe this? I come from like what I would describe as an unusual niche of the talking section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In that I, if you'd asked me 10 years ago I would have said oh we talk about everything uh, and I think we're sort of talkers who are very choosy about what we talk about. So so I definitely don't come from a repressed family at all. Not at all. Like I would say too much the other way. What's the opposite of repressed? Not pressed. <laughs> like I want another another word. Um, everything's on the table. My dad was an extremely emotive person. You knew he was in the room and he made us have family meetings from the age when I was four years old. I would oh have family God. meetings. Every Sunday, get your diaries out, guys. What's happening? Who's doing what? What's your goals for the year? What's your objectives? Like from four. Really? Oh my God. And they were both in to very like my mum you know my mum sort of counters it like he was more into it she's a bit like she was into it but she was always a bit like yes so you know I'd also quite like to watch telly and have a sit down um but they were into like self-help extreme self-help kind of like courses and you know we went to um a hippie commune at one point or an alternative life commune in Scotland called Fintorn which I'm sure some people have heard of so they were they were really really big talkers and I felt like I could say anything and you know hence why I am such a you probably gathered extremely talkative person 
and I expressed myself very verbally. And then when he got sick, he didn't want to talk. And that was so confusing to me of like, but all we do is talk. And that's when I realized, oh, we talk about positive things. Like what we're going to do and how we're going to achieve something. We don't talk about uncomfortable emotions. Uh Like, and that was a really hard lesson because you're like, but you've, you know, like I've been brought up with this politics of talking. Like that's what we do. That's how you solve. And then when something negative came in, it was like, well, no, this is too painful to talk about. And I was like, I thought nothing was too painful to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was, understandable from his point of view but hard to deal with from my point of view and you know he was diagnosed in February he was dead by the April so he it was not mm. it, perhaps he would have talked had he lived longer but he you know he just kept saying I'm fine I'm gonna be fine positive thinking like <laughs> we'll we'll get there and you know he was trying lots of alternatives and you know he went medical he had chemotherapy and all the rest of it but he was trying everything and it was all about getting well getting better he wanted that conversation but if you said well should we think about your funeral it was like no because that's not going to happen and you're looking at this right. person who's like bright yellow, lost two stone, is in a cancer ward. And you're thinking, I don't think you are going to get better. But I'm only 15. So if you say you are, like maybe you are. I don't know. I'm the child here. So it was a very confusing time. I have a really vivid memory of my mum and me sitting trying to plan. Like she kept saying, like, Pete, please, like, just let's just start thinking. She's a very practical person. She knew she's going to make some decisions. And he said to me, get a pen and paper. Right. We need to book the flights to Boston. That's where I'm going to go next week. Then we need to go here. We're going to go and see this person. They, you know, and and I was like, what? (laughs) Was he on a lot of drugs at that point as well? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, my therapist said the same thing. I imagine he was. It's hard to know. He must have been. And we also think, like, it spread so quickly. So I don't know what state his brain was in, to be honest. Like, it had spread all over his body very, very quickly. But he just was that... He was a real... I mean, God bless him. Like, he was a real positive doer. Like, his whole life, any problem, he'd, he'd fixed it. He'd solved it. He'd, he, like, drove through life. Like, he was a very extreme... And some people loved him for it. Like, if you got on board his train, you were going somewhere exciting. And some people would be like this man is too much and really what the fuck is he doing but if you believed him it was amazing and so I think when it came to his cancer he just was like no I've defeated everything every problem I've taught Mm -hmm. my way out of it I've worked my way through and yeah he hit the ultimate problem so I can see now as a grown-up how hard that must have been for him and it took me a long time to see it from his point of view because I just was locked frozen as we said in the 15 year old of like well why didn't you talk to me why didn't you help me and now I'm like oh he just could he couldn't even help himself like he was a flawed human being as we all are he did his best how did it affect your relationship with your mum we we already had a very good relationship and I think both me and my brother would say like (laughs) we say this on the show and I think this is something if you're you're not in the grief club it sounds really awful but like I I can I say this I'm not glad he died but like if my if it been the other way I don't know what happened to us like he was not a practical reliable person Mm. so in terms of like a partnership the extreme fireworks person died and the person like the solid there for you make sure you have your breakfast you got clean clothes you go to school like that person was still there so um we were very lucky in that way because we had a really really stable life after the death which is a really big if you speak to child bereavement uk like that's a huge factor in mental health for teenagers or young people who are bereaved is that the other parent to be stable and consistent and you know offer mm. all the things that the death has taken so yeah i have a re- i have a very good relationship with her because we went through this huge thing together and you know my brother was 19 at the time so it really it bonded us in a very very tight way and i think that we spent the rest of our 20s and 30s having to like un un 
weld ourselves <laughs> like oh actually we need to be individuals like we can't be this incredibly tight unit because we really went through it and my dad being the person that he was this huge character you know when you lose a sibling you, you lose a witness so you lose a witness mm. to your childhood and that's what I have still with my brother and my mom that I can say do you remember when he did this and they're yeah. like yeah because he was really weird and he did some really strange things and um you know, so it's very helpful to have that unit afterwards to be like, did I imagine that, you know, we once went to someone's house who he, he but he didn't, when we got there, he actually didn't know them because he made a mistake of like remembering faces and we all had to have dinner party with someone. My dad had no idea who this <laughs> oh, man was. And he told us they left to make drinks and he said, I don't know who this is. <laughs> he met someone at a conference, got the wrong business card, stuff like that. We were just like, I just need someone to remember that the things he made us do sometimes. Like, did we all go to that commune? Yes, we did. Okay, fine. Um, it's fascinating. <laughs> You've said, I think, that you're not very good at thinking about the future. Why do you think that is? So, again, very common symptom. I hate to be sort of so textbook. I'd rather be the unusual goth person, but I'm actually quite normal. When you lose someone very young, you learn not to trust things and you learn not to trust the future because the rug got pulled out from underneath you. And we call it on the show death anxiety. And anyone can experience it, but it, it, I definitely noticed the younger you are, the sort of worse it is. Um, and it tends to happen to women quite a lot after they've had children. So I've had friends mm. say to me, oh my God, I can't stop thinking about dying. And I can't stop thinking like something happened to them or me. And I find it really interesting. So I'm like, wow, that's been my life since I was 15. And I think it's just when it tends to happen to people after they have kids when they're like, oh gosh, we're all quite vulnerable. Whereas when you mm. lose your dad at 15, you learn that lesson just way earlier than other people. So yeah, thinking about the future still makes me incredibly nervous because I think it's really arrogant to think there is a future. Like I just yeah. want, I, when people say, like somebody said, oh, you know, when, we're, when we're grandparents to me, the other day at the playground, they were like, oh, well, you know, when we're, we're the grandparents. And I thought, wow, the arrogance that you see. Yeah. <laughs> wow that is bold because to me yeah. like, if if we get to be there like if we get to see them grow up like that yeah. and I wish it wasn't that way because it is a bit morbid but um your brain is you know quite malleable as a teenager and, and neural pathways get formed and frozen and so when somebody who's fit and healthy who runs marathons triathlons is training for an Ironman gets cancer and dies in three months it's very hard <laughs> to to go oh well you know people won't die and everyone will be okay as long as you take care of yourself and my therapist used to say to me all the time well you know not everyone dies so like you know trying to help me with this concept that everyone's going to die and I was like yeah but someone did <laughs> like, yeah one person died that's like saying oh well, this swimming pool is safe to use because only one person died in it like you'd be like well we should still investigate I might not get in it like what's in it is it poisoned like what happened oh well you know they jumped without looking and they we took the water out okay fine so <laughs> yeah, yeah. what can I do to make sure that, that doesn't happen to me so yeah I'm very I'm an anxious person I'm an anxious person I was anyway before he died I definitely was like a bit on that spectrum you know I was already there and then the world gave me a really good reason to worry <laughs> so it's hard not to but um I am thanks to therapy getting better <laughs> how do you think that this experience has impacted on your attitude to aging 
So it's it's dual. I wouldn't say um, I'm like super zen and like, oh, you know, who cares? As long as we're all here. Like I still look in the mirror and think, oh God, like so gray. And what should I do? And, you know, I still have those normal aging things where your body is not doing what you want it to do and, and find that like difficult. But I do, as I said, I do find it difficult when people take it for granted, I guess, and say things like that. Or, well, we could be dead tomorrow. Like I used to have a friend who did sunbeds. <laughs> Oh, she used to always say well we're all gonna die anyway so if i get skin cancer you know and i remember thinking you have no idea what cancer looks like like you it's a phrase for you and having seen someone die of cancer you're like it's not it's never it's nothing you would ever ever choose in a million years it's like swallowing acid it's it's and i used to find that really difficult where people are flippant about it it's weird i've, I've tried to work through this on therapy i used to just feel like grateful for every single day every single day in my life yeah. like okay at least i'm here and actually even though that sounds very positive it's not to live in constant state of fear so I try now to just be, you know be a little bit more relaxed about it but I, I think it'll get hard as my kids get older because at the moment they're young and that's it I had mm. that childhood but I think once they get past 15 I'll find it really like <gasps> I would like to get as far as that like genuinely that's something I've considered it's like it'd be good to get at least to 15 because yeah, like then like, I, I did that and I was sort of all right <laughs> <laughs> the maths you do with yourself you know yeah Clovis Stroud came on and I think you've had her on the grief oh, yes. as well and yeah, she yeah, yeah. I mean she didn't kind of call it that but she was talking about the fact of her children getting older than she was when her mum had her accident yeah. and then yeah. getting older than herself than her mum was when she had her accident and she was just coming up to the point of getting older than Nell was when Nell died yes that's a really big thing with sibling loss, yeah. Especially if the sister is older than you and you become older than the sibling because it is a really like, well, that's not the law of the land. How does that make sense? Yeah, numbers are really important and they shouldn't be and all the logic in the world. It's just a number, what does it matter? But numbers really matter. And when I was younger, my dad died when he was 44 and I genuinely, when I was younger, thought, well, he was quite old. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, one of my thoughts to make myself feel better was like, he was old and pe old people die. And obviously now I'm I'm 40. I'm like, fucking hell. Like, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't old. But when you're 15, you're like, well, yeah, you know, they do die. And that does happen. You know, they are a bit decrepit at that age and illness will get them. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, it is a thing. It's definitely an awareness. It just brings an awareness. And that's what coming back to what I've said before, grief is a lifelong process. You know, there's always something that you haven't quite been prepared for or considered, like you're turning your age or the children being the age or your friends turn the age or your parent, you know, all of this stuff that you're like, oh yeah, mm, okay, I'm nearly the age he was. So how would I have felt? Yeah, I probably would have wanted to talk about it either. I probably would act like that. And I, you know, you start slotting things in and it can actually be very helpful. It can be very therapeutic and cathartic to allow yourself that. But it's also sad as ever. It's all of those things at the same time. And there's a chapter at the end of the book, which is really, well, the whole book is really thought provoking but the chapter at the end of the book about thinking about your own mortality and yeah. like effectively planning your own death and when I started to read it I just thought oh well I don't even well I need to read this maybe I'll just stop here and skip 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 yeah, yeah I don't I don't need to read this chapter and then I read it I was sitting in the cafe and I came home and I said to my husband do you want to be buried or scattered and he was like what? where <laughs> did that come from so how <laughs> How do you, unless I know you're not an expert in this lived experience, and I get this all the time with people asking me advice about menopause, and I'm like, I'm yeah. not a doctor, a doctor, I just know what yeah. I lived through. But how do you start those conversations without your partner thinking you've taken out life insurance? <laughs> What's so funny to me is like, 
I can't believe, like, how long have you been married? Like, yeah, nearly 30 years. Yeah. And to me, it's like, it's incredible you haven't had that conversation because someone who's obsessed with death in the way I am, that was an early conversation. <laughs> like, but I totally get that I'm odd and this is odd, but I always find it really amazing when I'm like, wow, did you... Did it come up? We have had passing conversations like in Paris, I think, because he said to me, oh, I thought you wanted to be scattered in Père Lachaise in Paris. I was like, well, yeah, I did. But now, no, not now. Yeah, yeah. And so now I live in... You, yeah. changes. You've got to update them. So what um, stage did you have that conversation with your husband? Well, I'm in an unusual situation. So my dad obviously died when I was a teenager and my husband lost both his parents, uh, his dad when he was in the late 20s, his mum when he was mid-30s. So... We literally have one grandparent between us, hence why we're very protective of her. Oh, God, yeah, she's <laughs> like a very high-value grand, isn't she? Oh, my God, it's like, you have to behave yourself. No pressure, um, yeah. And I went through those griefs. I was with him when um, his parents died, we were together. So I went through those processes and planned funerals and helped with that. So, you know, like death has been a huge role and presence in in my life and not everybody has that experience so I completely understand it just just it always you know it's like looking at through a neighbor's window and like wow look how they do the washing up I didn't know you could do that yeah. <laughs> um so obviously since doing the podcast I talk about death all the time and I started interviewing like you know people more palliative care doctors and death doulas and sort of ex exploring the other side of it rather than just people who've experienced grief and that's when I sort of realized like I don't want to be like preachy but like it's sort of necessary to have these conversations mm. and the reason I would say that even though they're hard it's I feel like it's future proofing so the same way you might take out uh, like home insurance you know in at the time it's boring but when something happens you're like oh thank god we did that that's so good mm. because somebody will die it's gonna happen like that's not shocking that's true no that's we all know that life, yeah. it's just yeah matter of luck and time who knows you know maybe we'll, you get lucky it's you and not not them but it's going to happen and you're going to have to face all this admin or sadmin as we jokingly call it in the community and if you don't know for sure what someone wants it can add like a, a thin extra sprinkling of sadness to the sadness so you've already got the sadness of someone not being there that's already shit and then you have to plan a funeral which you think oh my god we didn't even know and I think it was this but they said that 20 years ago about the parrot do we have to go to Paris do you think she had did she actually mean that yeah because then we can't visit her like oh my god but you know she said it and one person would be like she said it she told me and then the rest of you if you have to disagree thinking oh my god I think she changed her mind but we're not sure it's adding to this situation that's already shit so why do that to your future self like why not have the conversations now so when it does happen you're like oh great I can can just deal with the grief which is really hard like that's so hard to deal with the grief why give yourself more <laughs> and you know it comes back to what we said about negative emotions like well it will be hard to ask them it'll be even harder when you're at a funeral director's home and they're saying what did your husband want you go um oh uh and then of course you feel like oh my god why i should know this all of this stuff and of course of course even if you, if you haven't had the conversations you can guess and if you love someone of course you'll probably guess correctly and the reason i start with funerals is not that they're like mega mega important like they are a part of it but it's just like it's accepting someone's going to die and how are you going to process it and sort of just opening that that door in your relationship and not necessarily partner parents as well there's lots of really good resources there's um my favorite is this book called the death book which is made by the woman who makes those amazing space masks which are like these like sleep eye masks and she had a really like you put them on and they heat up and you have a lovely night's sleep oh, wow. but she had a really difficult time i think after one of her parents died they didn't have any inf information so she she created this 
this thing called the death book. It's a red book, like a notebook, a ring binder. I don't think it's even very expensive. And in it, it just says all the questions. Very cremated. What do you want read? And the idea is you just give it to someone or you buy it, you write everything down and then you just say to someone, it's in that drawer. Done. So it doesn't have to be this intense, like, I know you will die and I want a perfect funeral. Just like, just so I know... Uh, how many bank accounts do you have? Is there a weird like password that I should know about? Or is everything basically fine? You know, like, do you have life insurance? What do you want? Is there someone you don't want at your funeral? It, actually, are you secretly religious? And I had no idea. So it can, it can open a lot of conversations that I think we're afraid to have. And I think it can just make the grief a bit easier. And my, my role, my self-appointed role is to make the grief as easy as it can be because it's so awful. I'm trying to make it as easy as, as it can be. And I'm telling you, after interviewing 200 people, there are two camps, the people who had everything sorted beforehand and the people who didn't and the people who had everything sorted beforehand had i'd say let's call it 2.5 percent more of an easier time so because like, we've got to put a number on it yeah got to put a number on it so that i can sell it to you so why not why not just give yourself 2.5 percent like it's just so logical to me but i know yeah. it's I, obviously i am practiced at these conversations like i've learned over six years how to have these conversations and it's not that i'm any better at them i'm just better at being crap at them that's all it is because i've done it in the same way that when you have a baby like you're not like instantly good at it you just you get the hang of it and then you realize oh this is just hard I'm never really going to be brilliant some days are better some days I'm not and I do my best <laughs> and they're sort of all right exactly the same with talking about grief and death you just sort of realize sometimes you get it right sometimes you don't but it's important to keep trying and that's it really it's actually very simple so I think if you can I would just say start with funerals because it's such a you know start with music what music do you want at your funeral like do you want a party afterwards like who's not allowed to be there or who who do you like do you want do you want a big picture of you or you're not that bothered (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that and then you can move on to if you have a serious accident like how do you Mm. feel about if you're in a vegetative state you know advanced care Mm. planning i'm not saying jump in there first because then they really will feel like (laughs) are you trying to kill me um but funerals are a really easy icebreaker to thinking about the unbearable what do you want played at yours Um, I want, on the research for the book, I've discovered this banging funeral track called The Ways of Zion Do Mourn by Handel. (laughs) (laughs) And he wrote it for Queen Charlotte's funeral. Oh my God, it must be like, I don't know what it is, the 18th century equivalent of Robbie Williams' Angels. Like it is just so funeral. And it's like this whole, like this whole choral piece about Queen Charlotte dying. And it's like, she is gone, she is gone. And I I heard it while I was writing the book. And I was like, yes, that is my funeral like it's so dramatic unnecessarily over the top and I was like I think that's quite fitting (laughs) on that note I'm going to ask you the questions I always ask at the end what is your emotional age oh god (laughs) sorry it feels a very loaded question in the light of this conversation sorry it's mixed I'd say uh, 15 there's definitely a 15 year old I think I react to everything as a 15 year old and then I've learned through therapy to go now hang on a minute (laughs) you're not 15 it's not that the world isn't fair what is actually happening here you don't have to be like it's not fair I didn't do it it's not my fault but that is definitely my automatic (laughs) reaction I still do that that's my automatic reaction too wasn't me (laughs) it wasn't me you can't blame me somehow this isn't my fault and now I've learned to go it might be your fault and that's okay it's okay to do things wrong but I definitely have to talk myself down off the 15 year old tantrum (laughs) 
Give us a book recommendation as well as the deaf book. So it can just, it can be anything. It can just be a book that you've always loved. It can be something great you read last week, anything. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, I have like an extensive grief library. <laughs> <laughs> I do one that I haven't mentioned for a while is, um, it's a children's book and it's by Jade Perkin and it's called Mum's Jumper. And in the story, the little girl, her mum dies and she holds the jumper and it smells and it kind of gives her this like little way of getting through the initial grief. And Jade actually did an illustration for me at the back of the book. She designed my Griefcast podcast logo as well and there's a, in the back there's a You Are Not Alone um, logo she designed and she lost her mum and I just find even if you are not a child I think Mum's Jumper will make you weep in a really healthy way and if you do know someone who's a child who's been through anything like that it's it's a really really beautiful book and there aren't many kids stuff that aren't extremely maudlin I find or like the bunny has died <laughs> which I just find a little bit tricky because it's not a bunny is it we're trying to tell someone that a pair, you know a human has died Obviously, some of the bunny books are great. But um, <laughs> yeah, so Jade Peck in Mum's Jumper. And then I've, uh, I'm in the middle of reading Vagabonds by Elagosa Osunday, which is magical realism in Lagos, which is so good. I'm really, really enjoying it because it's just like nothing oh. I've ever read before. It's brilliant. I'll check that out. I like a bit of magical realism. Um, yeah. What advice would you give younger women? Oh, just hold on. Hold on. It gets, it gets easier. It gets easier. And you look fucking great that's right oh you look yes. so good just honestly whatever in your head you think you're incorrect and in 10 years time you'll think god why didn't i appreciate that so just whatever is complaining in your head you're wrong you're fundamentally wrong i don't even need to see you i know you look amazing you look amazing and yeah hold on it does get it does get easier brilliant have you got an old bird role model or an older woman who's inspired you there's lots of like cheesy ones. Um, well, they're all quite cheesy, aren't they? I guess my mum is yeah. definitely a massive, massive, yeah, huge. What she went through when she was only 43 and then she went back to university having left school at 16 with like literally one O level in sewing and oh, did an wow. art history degree at Goldsmiths and having, you know, severe dyslexia that never been diagnosed properly and been told her whole life should basically. Oh God, she's my old bird role model. Yeah, she's amazing. She went back to uni and she got her life back and continued to look after me and my brother. So, yeah, she's a pretty incredible person. So, yeah. And then probably Stevie Nicks. Yeah. <laughs> That's Stevie Nicks. Uh, we've probably already covered this, but what's your superpower? <laughs> I think, well, I joke in the book, it is talking and I know I talk an awful lot, but I have learned to accept that I am really good at talking things through and I'm, I'm good at explaining things through talking. I actually find writing them down, like that was, I, it took me ages to get the talking to become words, which I, I think I did, but it was really, I love, I love it. And um, yeah, if ever you need a natter about something, I'm here, especially if it's death. <laughs> I will totally take you up on that. Um, lastly, <laughs> how many fucks do you give? Oh my God, zero, none. And then sometimes too many, which I think, isn't that how we all feel? Mm -hmm. I absolutely couldn't give a fuck until, oh my God, there's so many fucks that I'm worrying about right now. So yeah, I definitely wouldn't say I've reached the balance of zero fucks because I think that's that's the end game, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be boring if you'd got there already. I'm still working there. I almost don't believe anyone who says zero because like, yeah. like 999 out of a thousand people say zero and then they go, Oh, but yeah, no, yeah, like, zero quite a lot of the time, and then quite a lot of the time, so many fucks that I'm like carrying around in a bag, being like, Sorry about my fucks, I've got so many, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. god, sorry, did, did they bump into you? I'm so sorry, oh, god, that is probably my fault. So, yeah, this it's a very healthy amount of fucks. <laughs> 
Oh, it's brilliant. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thank you so much. It's been so nice to talk to you. How was it being on the receiving end of the questions? Really, really lovely. Honestly, you're an amazing interviewer. Like genuinely, halfway through, I was like, oh, she's really good. I'm saying stuff I would never normally say. Like, how how has she done that? (laughs) Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash The Shift. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.